So stay locked in. Welcome to failure at failure. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you for having me. Hi, Chris. It's lovely to meet you. And you. Pleasure, pleasure, guys. This is a wonderful thing you guys are doing. It's a pleasure to be involved at my big old age of 42. Let's get it. <laughs> we appreciate you. So I guess just kicking off, um, for our listeners, tell us a little bit about who Chris Cyrus is. What are your passions? What do you do? Chris Cyrus is a personal development speaker, coach, and workshop facilitator. I've been in that role for the last 12 years. Um, I love serving people. So my initial and core audience is young people at risk of offending. So just kind of using personal development to keep them on the straight and narrow. But I also use the same skill set to work with people interested in getting into business or people that just want to, you know, get over their limiting beliefs. You know, for me, personal development is a thing that saved my life, literally. So I, I serve it and share it with as many people as possible. So that, that's what I do. That's what I'm about. Are there any core projects that you're working on at the moment that I guess reflect you and some of that vision? Yeah, so we're currently in Edmonton and Tottenham working with what we call the Aspire Hire program. So I've got a business partner called Nathaniel Pete, um, and we've got a team of facilitators and we go to schools and prisons. So we're currently in some schools in Edmonton and Tottenham and I also run a music studio in Croydon where I've got some young people that I'm engaging with personal development, but also the creative arts, because that is another tool that really helped me, you know, writing poetry, expressing yourself. So, yeah, anything that I come across that works, that makes sense, if I can turn it into a business or if I can just share it, then I will do so. Um, and that's, you know, that served me so far. And are each one of these a passion or are they business or are they just simultaneously the same, same thing? So they are passion. And fortunately, I've been able to turn the passion into business. So when I'm working with young people, I really encourage them to be an expert in your passion. Because if you're an expert in your passion, you can absolutely get paid in your passion and turn it into a business. Um, the business side is harder, but I think just living the passion, just doing the thing you love, even if it's part-time, even if it's on the weekend, whatever, I think it's important to do. Purpose, calling, all of that stuff uh, I'm, I'm aligned to. I want to encourage people to, to live out of their passion and their purpose. And when did the penny drop for you, though, Chris? I mean, did you always want to do these things or the penny dropped one day and you said, ah, this is my purpose? Okay, so the penny dropped. I knew I had to figure something out 
um, in 2004. I was in Kingston Crown Court. I was sentenced to a 10-year prison sentence. Mum Dukes was in the courtroom, tear dropped from her eye. She's wailing, making a noise. And I'm like, okay, life just got real. You know, we talk about, you know, the risk of prison and death, you know, when you're making certain choices. And, and, and now I was receiving that reality. And literally the first night, they sent me to Wandsworth Prison. And I was laying on the bunk bed. Fortunately, my first night, I didn't have a cellmate, but it was a small room, bunk bed, toilet, barred windows, sink, you know, the works. And I'm laying on the, I chose a top bunk, like, me I hold a top bunk. Oh, boss, man. <laughs> yeah, even though even I'm the only one in there, on some boss mode. I'm laying on the top bunk, and and I said, you know what, I didn't have to be here. And I don't want young people failing exams, not believing in themselves, not believing in their potential to end up here. So I knew then and there that I was going to make a living, have a business, serving young people and being part of the solution. I knew it and spent every day thinking about it through law of attraction, studied it, you know, so a open university book came to me. I saw the course psychology and, you know, someone who didn't get their GCSE, someone who wasn't, who didn't believe that they were going to do the academia side is now studying psychology with the open university and, and just really believing that I can, run my own business and, and do something else. When previously I had fallen into a, a mind state of music or criminal, musical criminal. I, I didn't have other things that I was thinking about. You think that narrative was pushed on you, that music criminal? Because I remember growing up myself, there was a lot of this energy, you know, hip hop, you know, criminality, not making money. Yeah, for sure. It's still, it's probably more prevalent now than it was back then. Um, for these young people but I definitely was it pushed on me no it was you know there's a there's a key thing of, of self-esteem and I think before that I had a high self-esteem you know before before failing exams before looking at the system in a different way I, I believed I could go uni I believed I could get a great job I was doing computers at the time so I had high belief and then life happened you know I had a part-time job in a bank a decent job, but I saw like a, a finance manager, African guy, well-suited, well-presented, educated, go for a job that he should have got and he just never got the job. And I'm like, if these guys aren't getting promoted, if these guys are, you know, hitting this glass ceiling, me, I've got cane roll now, gold to gold chain, that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like, what chance do I have in this system? Always loved music, so I was messing around with that. But I wanted to be successful, wanted to make money. And that became a real option for me. And it became that there was nothing else in my mind to then have that mindset shift and believe I can be an entrepreneur, working with young people, believe I can you know, achieve whatever I put my mind to. It was, it was a maturity. It was a breakthrough moment of, you know, we learn through pleasure or pain. And, and the great pain in my mum kind of made me say, okay, I can do, I can do better. Deep down, I knew I could do better, but, but now I had to do better. And, and what made it compounded was I have a brother who was actually in the same prison at the same time on a completely different charge, was there around December, then I landed January. But he had been in and out maybe two or three times by this point. 
So for me, it was like, I'm not going to be in and out. This is a 10-year prison sentence. I can't do five years behind the door, come out and then come back in. So I've got to do something. Yeah, so my thing was kind of back against the wall. Life is is being wasted right now. L- let me let me do something. Can I um ask you where are, what area are you from? Croydon. Croydon. So tell us about your teenage years. You at high at high school. What was that like growing up? I feel like that's the time when we kind of find our little voices. I love secondary school. Love secondary school. I've got a twin sister, so I'm close with the girls and I'm close with the boys. I'm popular, um, I'm athletics, I'm playing football, I'm playing basketball. Um, I'm intelligent. I'm in top sets. I've got family that loves me. Like, like um, I thoroughly enjoyed school, had no problems in school. It was leaving school, getting into the real world. I, f- I felt lost. But throughout school, it was really positive. Loved basketball, you know, developed um, a, a, a liking for, for females and, and, you know, out and... You know, oh, the good love, old days. <laughs> <laughs> and I love school. What is that? I love it. Yeah, no, I loved it. I loved, I loved you know, my, my youth and got no complaints about my youth. How many siblings do you have? You got a twin sister? Yeah, so in terms of who lived with me, um, I have a twin sister. And then via my dad, I have um, other other brothers and sisters, probably about um, how many? I don't want to miss out anybody. About four sister and, and two brothers. So you grew up in your household with is just you and your sister? Me and my sister. Started off mum and granddad. And then when we came to Croydon at age 11, it was I had my mum and my dad. So yeah, yeah, me and my sister, mum and dad um, from the age of probably 11, 11 upwards. And what's your background in terms of heritage? If I could have thought. So both my parents are from Jamaica. Okay, and you were born in Britain? Yes, British Yardie. I'm British All right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess listening to you, Chris, there's a few things that kind of popped out in my mind that I wanted to ask you a little bit more about. And that was around the charges which brought you into prison. What, what were those charges and what was the impact of your circles before those charges happened? What kind of circles were you mingling at that time? So the drugs conspiracy charge um, and the circles were, you know, people fresh from Jamaica, older guys, you know, criminals, pe- people that were high level. It, it was organized crime. It was high level criminals, international links. So this is my literally my first time in court, first charge. And I'm, I get hit with a 10 year prison sentence because because the charge and the, you know, it was it, it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a just quickly went and done something. You're part of an organised crime unit. You know, not a little shot on the road. Like you're bringing drugs into the country, moving drugs around. So it was those types of, of, of circles that I was around. The impact, people got arrested. About about four, four of us went to prison. Um, sadly, one of us didn't go to prison, but ended up dying just, just from still being attached and involved, swallowed drugs, Drugs burst in his stomach. He passed away. You know, there was there was some some sad things happened. You know, people got hurt. You know, things happened or, along that 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 whole journey alongside imprisonment. Were there any people from like your secondary school years that you still kept in touch with who were still part of your core foundation during and after those times? Yeah, I've got I've got several school friends that 
you know, birthdays and, and certain times we, we get in touch and get together. I literally had mm-hmm. one of my friends, his his son had a birthday and I saw him and a couple of other school friends. So yeah, I think I think with men it, it's slightly different than with, with 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 women from what I've seen. So my my twin sister, she's very close with her girlfriends from school, see them regular, speak to them regular, they babysit each other's picnic and all these things. With me and with the guys, um, it is very sporadic. It's, it's once in a blue, but the love is, is still there. So even if I don't speak to you once, once a year, twice a year, you know, you're my brother. We, we grew together. Uh, if you ever need anything, then it will be there. So yeah, in terms of close guys that I'm around, around, it, it's probably only a couple. It's only, you know, a couple of guys and then a lot of the time is family and 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 business, you know, running businesses and, and doing the things that that we do there and that network that I've developed. When I'm thinking of your journey, you're kind of describing this young man who loved school, you know, was confident, happy, vibrant for life. And as you go through your life, you're kind of discussing more about the self-esteem. And at some point, you know, that that light that you had started to dim or waver a little bit. And I think that's more what I'm thinking about because it sounds to me like your potential was, you know, huge, yet the directions were kind of swayed a little bit. Can you just speak a little bit more on that? Yeah. So, so it's a mindset thing. Um, you've got a, a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And I think I developed a, a fixed mindset, which, which meant I didn't really have to work for all of those things. I didn't have to work to have friends. I didn't have to work to be picked for teams. These things came naturally to me, which impacted even how hard I tried for my exams. I'm a top set student without really going that hard. So the exams come, even pre-exams, I didn't really go that hard of a passing them. So I don't know what happened this time around. But what happens with, it, with a fixed mindset is, is it's very black and white. You're strong or you're weak. You're fast or you're slow. You're clever or you're dumb. So when this piece of paper says you're a failure, you, you start to believe it. Not, not in myself, but system-wise. So, so I always believed in myself, but I didn't believe in myself in the system because the system's got a, a path and being a man, being a black man and, and not having qualifications, all of these things fed into just my belief about what I could achieve. But I was determined to be successful and this was a real route. You know, I had real ambitions to be a, a boss in the field. So that's the way it stayed with me. To, to be my own boss has always stayed with me. And it was just challenging that energy to something positive and away from, from something negative. Did you feel like the system didn't believe in you? I know that's a huge... I, I, I guess, I guess, I, guess, I want to say I guess so. Um, but like I said, it's, it's not just me, it's other people that I saw. It's other people that I saw who I believe should have gone far and, and didn't. So looking at them, it's like, well, if, if they're not getting through, I'm not getting through. But then I can see my guy over there who is getting through and, and has, you know, in, in, in your young mind, you just want the chain, you just want the car, you just want these things, this money, this, these girls, whatever it is. And he's got all that right now, today. So I'm on what he's on because I can make that happen today. And it, it, it is just mentoring, guidance, um, knowledge. The shortcut is, is, is appealing. Like so far, I'm just loving the story, to be honest. Like hearing it from you and being a female coming from a similar environment, like, the guys in my family, in my circle, were very much on that same path. And I always felt entitled, like I passed my mocks of swimming. Club, and I felt like 
it's just naturally going to happen when you're in school. You just feel like it's just going to happen. Like I'm on the netball team. It's, I'm, we, we always win. Like it's just going to happen. I passed my mocks and then the GCSEs come and then you're like, what happened? And I kind of felt like there was a ceiling that there, there, no one told me there wasn't. So I didn't, I, for you, you had like, although it wasn't, it was quite negative. You saw that actually there were people going beyond that ceiling Whereas as a female, I didn't see anyone, no females going beyond that ceiling. So for me, it was just like, okay, I'm just going to coast now because that's it. So it's kind of like I'm looking at the difference between like the genders because I was around a lot of men in a similar circumstance to you. But as a woman, I didn't see that females would be able to go past that ceiling. Yeah, for, for males and females, I think from the school system upwards, there needs to be more role models. And, and we, we know that the media isn't really pushing um, that image. So, you know, th- th- it's not by accident that so many young black boys want to be drill artists or rappers. It's not by accident. Because when they look at anyone who's got money, their age, they're rappers. If they say if they saw, saw lots of young black doctors or lots of young black lawyers or lots of other stuff, then they would aspire to it more. So what you see becomes kind of what you what you aspire to, what you believe about yourself. Unless you do have a mentor that actually shows you, look at him and look at that, and this is what you can, and this is the path, and that's kind of the role that I want to take or the role that I'm taking to kind of show. Actually, I'm here. I'm an entrepreneur. I've got about five six businesses coming out of prison. You can do this as well. It's, it's giving them a real life example of what's possible because they may never see it or hear it. And parents can be busy, you know, working, whether it's two parents or not. It, it, it's the actual communication. It's the actual time. You're busy working, putting food on the table and a roof over, over their head. But the TV is raising the child. The computer is raising the child. And, and, and the teacher is giving you the maths and English, but no one's actually giving you this life stuff. No one's giving you this life stuff. So you look to the to the roles to your peers for this life stuff, um, and 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 that's where you know some of these issues happen. This is why it's so easy for these young boys to be groomed. Yeah, indeed. I, I think if it becomes the norm that you don't see people who look like you in positions where they are high earners or they are educators, well read, well travelled, etc., and the people who seem to emulate that who look like you are footballers, rappers, any, any of these other things that actually we can do more than this set. It, it's hard. Those, those fields are possible, but very few out of the zillions trying make it, make it through. So, yeah. And particularly in the UK, I, I have seen abroad, you know, that these kind of things can be common, more common. And I think for the mindset of children in the UK and other similar countries, you know, um, it, it can be very difficult, especially in terms of time for parents being able to put in what's necessary uh, to feed seeds into the minds of their children. I've seen that's been one of the most biggest challenges for us um, as, as people of the community, um, especially if money isn't, you know, an option. And I feel like some of that wealth and education is lost for our children because we just don't have the time. Parents are exhausted, they come home, you know, they're unable to do anything but the basics. So tell me, Chris, what did you envision 40 would look like to you? All right. So for me, 40 was always just old. From, What's old? From... What's old mean? Like granddad old? 
Yeah, <laughs> it must. It, 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 and I know I'm not the only one. Like, I'm, I'm happily 42 and, and don't feel old and don't consider it old. But all the way coming up, all the way from a young person coming up, um, I think there's a song... What's, what's Chipmunk's line? I'm old, but not... I think he said 30 or old, not 40. Like, 40 he's always been old. Um, so so coming up, um, it it just seemed old. It wasn't as if... You know, I know that there's this this thing that you guys are speaking about in terms of being successful at 40. When I was coming up, 40 was just old. Um, and I think in terms of success, it was probably a younger um, benchmark that I was probably looking at like by 40 yeah you're right by 40 you should have made it because that's old um <laughs> yeah but uh, you know i had a i had a big chunk of, of my years kind of taken away anyway so my whole thing kind of changed anyway so i was away from 25 24 to 29 so my main focus was actually children because i i've always loved children wanted to have children um so to be 29 and not have any children was was probably my my focus was around working with young people, but also about having a family, and that became really important to me. Um, so yeah, from younger looking up, it would have been about success. It would have been about family, um, and that would have been that would have been the goal. But as I'm 42 now, I am looking towards, as I said previously, you know, they're saying that a lot of millionaires don't make it until they're 60. And a lot of my role models from the Bob Proctors to the Les Brown to the Eric Thomases, they're 50, 60, 70, 80. They are old. Um, So I have no issue around being successful and continue to grow success. You know, I'm I'm not looking at retirement. These, These guys aren't looking at retirement. When you live a life of purpose and life of passion, you're not thinking I can't wait to stop working. That that's I don't have those thoughts. I can't wait to stop working. I'm I'm happy to keep learning, keep growing, keep giving back, keep building business. So yeah, I'm 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 in it for the long run. And I and I know that actually, when people do retire, that can be the quickest downward spiral. You know, I know a guy who used to use his hands and build and carpenter and you know plumber and all these things, and he retired. And I saw him one time outside of his house building up his wall. Uh, I don't know if he just knocked it down for the sake just to build it back up. Like he was fixing <laughs> the wall outside of his house. And I said, that, what's going on? And he said he had to get back to work. The minute he stopped working, arthritis coming to his hand and all these things. So I'm not, you know, I, I want the nice balance of, of being able to, to work and being able to enjoy life. I've heard about this concept about um, retirement should be more so about periods of respite throughout your life you know so you're not continuing but you're taking little times off I mean a year off here a year off there but you're not ending your involvement in the world at any age you just continue and I thought that's quite a powerful way to look at it I mean it's retirement really is just about you know how how happy the industry are, are for you to continue working in the industry but by your standards you can keep going until you to, to the end to be fair yeah yeah, so for me, you know, I'm looking at travel. I'm looking at giving back internationally. You know, I think I think retirement is about. I don't know. It's it's a strange system. It's it's about working a job you don't like and saving up enough money so that you can rest. It's a very strange system um, that I that I reject and a lot of a lot of other people reject. So yeah, I'm 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 for 
creating something that you enjoy and 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 for financial freedom. So one of the things I'm doing now is trading forex. I'm I'm all about financial freedom. So when I work and when I do what I do, it's not actually necessarily for money. It's because I love it. You know, some of the stuff I do now isn't just financially motivated. It's it's passion motivated. And I think that's the best way to kind of live and enjoy. And I think the more we understand that age, whether it's 40, 30, 50, you know, is often more around a consumerism thing or about a work ethic thing. How long are you useful to society for? As opposed to the individual thinking, actually, at any age, I can be what I need to be. And, and I'm not sure if that concept is really pushed enough because it's not useful in lots of ways to those who want to make, make money off people, I guess, in lots of ways. Um, and appeal to the psyche or, or make you feel like you're getting old by a certain age and actually that's far from the truth. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the mindset for me, as, as I said, is 60 is a rural benchmark for financial freedom. Um, and I think outside of mindset and work, health is the, is the key, you know, whether it be not eating meat, whether it be exercise, stretching, you know, Health is the key because you can be 30 and, and broke down. You can be 20 and broke down and 60 and be, you know, in, in your best shape in terms of your mind and your physicality. So I'm very um, conscious of health and, and why I eat and exercise and, and motivation and energy. So that's really, really um, important. And I guess during this pandemic, we've I think we've kind of seen the commodity that humans seem to be, you know, to these organisations or, or wherever it is that we're kind of building that consumerism as, as opposed to us investing in ourselves and keeping ourselves well um, for that longevity, because that is the real wealth, isn't it? You know, we look at money and all these things, but actually it's your health, you know, it's your, your family, the things around you that is, is really the wealth that we should be investing in, you know, generational wealth, etc. I love that whole idea. I think sometimes I've said to people, like, I don't necessarily see myself retiring. Like, what am I going to do at home? But then maybe that's because, as you said, Chris, like, it's a passion that you follow rather than a job that you follow. So whether, like, the job that you do is, is your passion. So maybe that's the reason why you feel that way, because... I don't see myself necessarily retiring. I see myself maybe traveling more. I see myself maybe getting a massage more regularly or like, do you get what I mean? Like having a nice work-life balance, but not retiring. One of the things I wanted to kind of like ask you is what are some of the challenges that you faced on your journey so far? Like some of your biggest challenges? Probably work-life balance is, is, is a good one because as I said, I, I love time of family, time of, time of children. Um, but I love to hustle hard. I love to build businesses and, and do these different types of things. And one of the ways I've managed and, and looked at it is to kind of do things in a season. Because sometimes when you're going 100%, you, you, you need to just give your time and your attention to that, to that thing. So whether it's building a business or whether it's just, just giving quality time to family. Sometimes for me, it's, it's seasons, particularly around business. So I might say, you know what, for this three months, for this six months, yes, the odd evening and, and the weekends, but Monday to Friday, like, leave me alone. Like, I'm going in. Like, I've got to make this thing happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm just in the lab and building. So, yeah, so that's, 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 that's a hurdle. 
it sounds like you've had quite a supportive family structure there where they understand, you know, your passions aligned, you know, with the whole family, I guess, to an extent. Where some people could find that as a challenge, you know, and maybe they, they find some resistance in situations. So that sounds quite powerful. I think it's communication. I think it's, it's about saying, this is what I'm working on right now. And particularly with, with, with the little ones, it's like, yeah, Saturday is your time. You see, when weekend comes, daddy's putting phone down, putting laptop away, we're going park, we're going swimming, whatever it is. So it is, it is, it is communication. You know, even, even through, through lockdown, you know, I was in my little office room and it was like, you, you can't interrupt me. You know, daddy's on Zoom. Daddy, daddy's got things to do. Um, so it's just separating the two, but, but making sure there is, a, there is a balance. And then it might just be just, just a couple of weeks or just a period of time where, yeah, they just get all my time. So, yeah, so that, that's probably one area. You mentioned the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. And I kind of feel like you went into prison with a fixed mindset and came out with a growth mindset. Am I correct in that? And if so, 100. how did you do that? hundred percent. That's what happened. And it was just through circumstance. I had to, I had to grow. I was forced to grow. Like my mindset had to grow. I had to say, actually, I'm capable. Um, I can do it. And, and what happened funny enough is further down the line towards the end of my sentence, I was being taught some key personal development tools, things like visualization, affirmation, goal setting, comfort zones, just lots of key bits of information. And it resonated so greatly because I had been doing it. I had literally been visualizing myself on a stage, visualizing myself on radio, visualizing myself speaking to a young people, affirming these things. I set a goal to be in an open prison, I got to an open prison, which is, you know, I'm allowed to go college during the week and home on the weekends, as opposed to 23 hour in a cell. So I had a goal to achieve that and achieve that. So you know, when someone tries to teach you something, you didn't know the terminology, but you've been living it. It was like, wow, I've got to teach people visualization. I've got to teach people law of attraction. I've got to teach people to setting goals and, and planning out their thing because it actually works. You know, the right people came into my life, the right opportunities came into my life. And, and just having more of a walk with God as well in terms of that inner voice, you know, because I landed 2009 with not, you know, qualifications, but not really a plan. And the inner voice said, you know what, you've been in your soul writing poems about strip search, about mum crying, about 23-hour bang-up, about not having a Christmas, not having a birthday. All those poems, put them in a book and go see the youth them. So I put it in a book. And for free, I went to the schools. I went back into the prisons and just shared the poems. That The same music that I always loved, the rapping, the speaking, I'm now using it to share poems of my life to young people. And it was unique because anyone else coming out of prison is talking about how many men they punch up and, and how much stripes they got and how hard they are. I'm coming out saying, you know what? Mum was crying in courtroom. That weren't nice. Like, like being in that situation wasn't nice. Um, and it just gave me a, a tool. And the young people I was speaking to hadn't really heard that before and were engaging at levels that the school hadn't really seen before. So that's how the business started. It was, well, how much do you charge to do that? Come back and do that again. I've got an assembly. I've got more kids for you. And, you know, that happened continuously. And it was three years later that I was financially sustained by my business. You know, turned it into a social enterprise. 
I just want to ask you a little bit about that inner voice and, and finding that time and space to hear yourself and what was being spoken on your soul at that time. Um, and I wonder, was it that silence in prison? I just wonder if you could tell me a bit more. It was, it was fully the meditation and the silence and the time and also the writing. Because as I said, I've always written, I've done music, but this is slightly different. This is slightly more personal and this is, this is poetry. And I'm free writing, so I don't even really know what I'm writing. I just, as it comes to me, I'm just writing it. And then I'm reading it back and I'm learning about myself. I'm learning about my true beliefs and, and, and who I am and what I want. Um, and I really found myself um, and started to trust that, that, that inner voice and that guidance. Um, you know, if we're talking about spirituality or religion, I should say, I had a real journey around that in terms of, because I'm listening to this inner voice, I'm saying, okay, let me go, let me go to the church. I grew up kind of Christian. Let me go to the church. And there was things that wasn't resonating. And then the Muslim guys were really strong and really connected and really family orientated. And I, and I love the language. I love saying blessings, Aki, and assalamu alaikum, and, and, and linking up with that, that terminology and language. I loved how they spoke with God in their language as they spoke, like, God bless you, God willing, like, just in their language. I said, all right, cool, let me go to the mosque. And, and not everything was resonating there. And I said, okay, let me go to the Buddhist and meditate. And I, and I went to all these different places, really on a journey to, to explore myself, to explore religion, and just came to a place of, I'm going to take that bit from there, I'm going to take that bit from there, I'm going to take that bit from there, and this is who I am, and this is what I believe, and this is how I want to live. It was, it was, I think it was powerful for me because a lot of people in a similar scenarios do become followers, do become sheep, do, do try and fit in. I was really like, I've got to find myself. You know, I've got to do, do better. I've got to grow. And that's what I've done. That's absolutely what I've done. Really enjoying our conversation. You are sharing so much pearls with us, so much wisdom. Almost too much. <laughs> we can't contain it. But I guess just coming off the back of some of the things you were talking about that I think kind of came to me in my mind was a little bit just around some of the, the transition for you. Because I think what stands out in terms of young people is that you can come from a very solid background you know you it doesn't have to be somebody who's you know who's ducking and diving there's lots of challenges in the home equally you can be groomed in lots of ways and I guess I'm kind of interested in this how you became affiliated with the circles that you did and why I guess I think there's a a hunger in us all a natural hunger to grow to be successful to be the most we can be you know Every single species, you know, a tree wants to be as tall as it can be. An eagle wants to fly as high and as fast as it can. Like every bee and every animal wants to fulfill all it can. And when you see a path in your mind that's blocked, then you look at other paths. So that ambition I had that I didn't believe I could do through the system um, meant that I wanted to do it the other, another way, not using the system. So I actively, not so much got pulled in, walked into and, and said, I want to I wanna learn that. I want to do that. I want to be involved in that. So, yeah. So for me, it was, yeah, it was, it was a, a clear choice. Uh, I genuinely had that as an ambition and, and went for it. I was thinking about this notion of respect, which I hear from young people, fathers, older people, about wanting to do certain things in their life that 
you know, gains them respect, whether it's because they've earned it, whether it's because they've grown it through their businesses or just in general. Do you think that played a part? For me, it's more, it's always been more self-respect. Like, I want to do this for me. I want to be the best version um, of myself. There's always, there's always a, a, an external sense as well in terms of, you know, uh, the girl, the car, that this, the that, the that. There is always that external thing. And, and the respect in terms of, you know, this is my crew, no one can mess with me. Like, there, there, is, there is that. But for me, it was just not, it's being fulfilled within myself. The funny thing is that even though I was on a certain path and wanted to be fulfilled within myself, I always had a conscious conscience and, and always, and actually didn't feel it was against my, my natural instinct to, to be involved in something that, that hurts people or, or to, to, to behave in negative ways or to physically hurt someone or, or whatever it is. I, I'm not one of those people that can walk away from something and be that doesn't matter. You know, I speak to a lot of young people who, at least what they present to me, is very cold hearted. Like the things that they speak about, the things that they've done, and, and so on and so forth. That wasn't me. Um, I couldn't say that was me. Uh, as much as you know, activities may have happened. I always had a, a thinking in my head of, "Nah, that wasn't nice. Nah, that wasn't right." So I probably wasn't really built for for that. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't really built for that. But that was for me, the path. That was for me. The rite of passage, like that was your, kind of. your journey to your purpose, I guess. Everybody's got one. Like. Yeah, and, and for me, that, that was being a man. That was the man that I wanted to be until I learned what real manhood was. And, you know, as a man, you have to be there for your family. As a man, you have to be able to walk and live without watching over your shoulder. So, yeah, definitely rite, rite of passage. And I guess also with young people, what I find, particularly with young black men, is society often doesn't recognise them as children, adolescents at the time when they are. They're often sort of interacted with as men long before they've actually reached that point. I mean, in terms of sentencing, in terms of how people, adults engage them, um, the police engage them, let's say. You know, they're often still very young, still very inexperienced, but they're being treated and expected to, to present in, in a much more mature way. Um, whereas other children might not be interactive in that way. Yeah, I, I fully hear you and agree with you. However, some of the experiences, life experiences of these young people is well beyond their age, well beyond their age. What they've seen, what they've experienced, what they've done, they've got the soul of a grown person, real grown person. So it's sad that individuals are growing so fast beyond what they're mentally and physically probably meant to be. You know, it's, it's like, like a trauma. You're, you're too young to have had friends stabbed, to be stabbing people, to be in prison chased by police. You're too young to have experienced all of that, you know, mum on drugs or, you know, whatever the, this whole scenario that this 12, 13 year old has experienced it's grown them way beyond their mentality. Um, so they're traumatised. Um, and, yeah, they're acting out of anger, hate, pain, that, as you said, they're not actually old enough to process. They're not actually old enough to process what they've experienced, what they're doing. And it's a lot. There is a lot. So equally getting to 40, you know, and maybe still not having addressed some of those things that we've had to maybe jump over 
you know, because life kind of dictates that sometimes. You kind of spoke about, you know, those, those years which were not taken from you, but where you were elsewhere. And to me, it almost sounds like the, the journey was quite powerful where you, where you were anyway, even though it wasn't necessarily outside in the community, but it's still a right passage in lots of ways. And I just wonder how that is for a man of 40, 42 to then find his, his place in the world and say, actually, whether I've got this or not, I'm still a person of magnitude. You know, I've still triumphed all these different things. And what would you say in terms of society recognising your journey? Do they recognise your journey or do they see it as a hindrance because you have been inside? Society, they, 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 they recognise and, and celebrate my journey. You know, I'm someone who's got a British Empire medal, a Peace Award, Freddie Krueger's in me a Back to Black Award. So in terms of me and my personal journey, it's, it's been celebrated and, and, and recognised. I think, you know, when you say age 40 and so on and so forth, I think maturity is, is subjective, especially individuals that have been in prison that never actually grow up. They're still the same person. But also equally, people on the road that are in a loop, in a, in a cycle. You know, there's definitely individuals that I met five years later that hadn't grown, that hadn't changed. There, there, there's some people that never, that are stuck. There's some people that never progress. I'm not sure what that is. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I couldn't really explain how that happens or why that happens. I, I think A genuinely is just a number. I do believe it's genuinely a number. And you can be 14 and be irresponsible, immature, and just take no real accountability for anything. And you can be 20 and a really serious individual, serious about your life, serious about your business, serious about family. So yeah, you know, I, I think that, yeah, it is definitely just a number in terms of maturity yeah, and and how this how the world sees in an individual um, and the expectations that the world puts on an individual, I can honestly say I haven't I haven't really fallen into it. I haven't really tried to live up to to anyone else's thing. I've always had my own inner passion. Like I I want kids. It's not like oh you're you're a big man you should have kids. No, I really want kids. I really want my own business. I really want to do these things so i'm not as as swayed by where other people think i should be let's go to that bit there what you just said there i really want kids so you were saying that basically it was actually a goal of yours like you were like this is what i want family is what i want tell us what happened so you you came out of prison at 29 all right let me tell you how let me tell you how real it is and how badly i want kids let me give you let me give you this yeah, give it as, to me. As a maths. Work out this one. Okay. I left prison January 2009 and my son was born March 2009. Let that one sink in for a minute. So was you, was you, was you popping out on, on little visits while, <laughs> on the day releases <laughs> where you were supposed to be mentoring? <laughs> 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 and I still see minute in. I remember I was. I remember I was well, at home. Weekends at home, yeah. Weekends, exactly. at, weekends at home. Okay. So, so I was serious. I was serious about you know your goals. This this, this fatherhood thing, um, and was excited. And and to be to be to be real, ask for a son. I ask for a son. Like I want a son. And for my missus to be pregnant and for, and for me to have my boy, I'm like God is great. God is great. Absolutely. 
Where did the missus come from? But I was just about to touch on that because it looks like there was love is, as well. This is, yeah, this is someone that I've, I've known um, for years and fortunately came back into my life. And yeah, so that was just a blessing. And just to really, yeah, to want certain things, business, family, and to see it manifest and to be so protected throughout that time. I haven't really got lots of dramatic stories of prison, of, of, of getting rushed, getting beaten up, getting badly treated. I don't have those stories. I was completely protected, completely in my own lane, in my own zone, respected. So, yeah, I, I do feel like it's a unique experience and a u- unique story that I, I don't know if many share. How's the journey after prison? So you came out, you had your son. Did you start your business straight away? Yeah, yeah. So I started my business straight away. But I had one of the organizations that was a personal development organization actually employed me straight away. So they 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 was giving me information. I was saying, I know this, I live this. Um, they loved me um, and they employed me. So they're employing me freelance, maybe three days a week, um, as often as they can. But any time that I'm not working, I'm building my own business. I'm writing my book. Sorry, not writing. It's already written. I'm publishing my book. I'm traveling around schools. I'm building my own brand. And I just knew, I just wasn't satisfied because I was making good money, freelancing for this organization. I wasn't satisfied working for someone else. I wasn't satisfied doing their thing their way. I always wanted to engage people on my terms, with my workshops, just always. I registered my business in March. So pretty much the same time my son was born, I was registering my organization. Um, it wasn't the right structure in terms of it wasn't a social enterprise. So I wasn't getting funding. But the blessings in that is for three years when I did get money, it came straight from the school, straight from the prison, straight from the whatever, whoever it was. So three years later, when I changed it to a social enterprise, and I started drawing down funding. I've never been reliant on funding. Like you couldn't close my business down because you're not funding me no more because my business doesn't run like that. You know, there's massive charities and people that work for charities that their jobs at risk every two years. My business doesn't, my business doesn't run like that. My business primarily is business to business like that. The school will pay me, the yacht will pay me. And then I get funding on top of that. So my business model, you know, but I had to learn that and I didn't know it. I didn't know I had the wrong structure. And as I said, God just guided me, guided me. Um, and, and people had a wonderful probation officer that drew down funding. And what was wonderful is I, I do the creative writing and I'm using the funding to go to people's studios and record and do stuff. And I'm like, sure, I want to invest in my own studio. So I invested in my own studio. When did you get your studio? This was probably three, if not four years after coming out of prison. So this is like two, two. 13 to 12, some, somewhere around then. Had you had baby number two yet? No, no, no. My baby's a baby. My baby's a young. My babies are like five and four. Okay. Yeah, my studio's just been running ever since. I've had two or three different studios because places have closed down or whatever it is. But my studio's always been running. Ever since it's been open, I've always had schools that want to send young people to me. If you're in Croydon, and you're saying I've got someone who's you know at risk, they're carrying knives, they're dealing drugs, that you know they're they're in trouble, but they love music. My name will be called at some point. Like if you go to probation, your social services, someone's going to call my name. You know I've been doing it for that long. 
in Croydon, around Croydon. People know me for that. Uh, so I've built a solid brand. I don't even do a lot of marketing for Cyrus Consultancy. There's a lot of word of mouth in terms of, you know, just the reputation um, that I have. Lots of long-term clients, you know, yacht workers and school teachers and stuff that I've known for years. And and they just like the way that I engage with their, with their young people because I genuinely care about their young people. And, you know, I, I love supporting them, letting them write their stuff and quizzing them. Why did you write that? What do you mean? And is that what you really want? And and they respect me. I'm a business owner, multiple businesses, come out of prison. So they love being around me. Um, so, yeah, I'm, 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 I've been in a good place even throughout my sentence. I've been in a good place. Um, and I do give, give God the glory and I just give myself the glory for just following my instincts and, and just giving 100% because I give 100%. What's interesting listening to you, Chris, is, you know, the passion you speak of is, is, is so apparent um, in, in, in how you speak about what you do. But I think what's even more powerful is hearing how much of a rock your family are and how much they are, they're quietly beating there in the background of the discussions, but they are powerful in it. Um, and I think it, it's good to hear that from somebody who's such a such an entrepreneur of yourself that yes, my business is is my one of my passions, but my true passion is is right here. And I think that's come that's undercurrent. I can kind of Sean, can you hear that there? Because I think I can. Yeah. It's always been um, the the support system, uh, the family. You know, if anything else, that they, they've they've got my back, so I can fly knowing I've always got a nest. I've always got a, a, a nest and a support system, uh, and people to do it for. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it for, for myself. I'm doing it for people I'm serving, but I'm doing it to provide for them as well. So there's a nice um, balance and, and, yeah, and a great support system that allows me to kind of be me. I think often, you know, men can believe that to be able to be fully achieve, they have to be lone rangers as such, you know, they have to be very ruthless, very shrewd, you know, um, and that actually any, too much responsibility may hinder their ability to achieve. And I guess you, you've shown us that actually that couldn't be further from the truth. I guess it depends on the individual. It definitely depends on the individual, but I, I need my family. I need something to do it for. I need a break from that where I can just be dad, uh, different sides of myself. I need that. For me, that's the full circle. To, to have, you know, I interviewed a millionaire one time who, who was quite open in saying that his mission is, is too big for himself to have a proper family and to really give to his family. I, I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't be satisfied um, to, to not be present and give, um, yeah, yeah, that, that doesn't work for me. The, the, for me, there's a, there's a holistic view and, and I've got to fulfill all those roles. What do you think about how society views failure? Like considering like some of the things that you've talked about, you've talked about like, you know, um, leaving school or seeing people not excel in the way that you felt they should excel and they or you may have seen that as a failure or you know getting yourself into the issues that you got yourself into and then watching your mum cry and that being seen as a failure and now coming full circle where you've gone from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset like what's your opinion on how failure is viewed in society? I think sometimes people can be unforgiving you know, I think I think the community can be quick 
to build someone up just to tear them down. I heard someone say that on online recently and, and it really resonated with me. Um, you know, we, we, we champion people and they make one mistake and, and, and they can get torn down. Um, again, for me, the only person that can really decide if you're a failure or not is yourself. Um, and, and coming from personal development background, for me, there is no such thing as failure. It's, you know, you keep going until you get there. That's just my belief system and, and so on and so forth. I do think there's a mindset of allowing other people's opinion of you to soak in and to be your opinion of yourself. So if people are looking at you and saying, you should have done that or, or you're not doing that or you've, you know, you failed and you take it on, then, then that can be detrimental. Um, and I think it takes growth to, to really have your own communication and your, and your own definition of what things mean and, and not take on other people's biases and other people's opinions, particularly when you know, you know, the, the greats, whether it be um, the author that wrote the Harry Potter books and how many times she kept going to the Edison and, and the light bulb and, and to, to anyone that kept going and going and going and going, they was never going to be a failure. Like they, they was never going to take anyone else's feedback that you're a failure. And I think if you can have that about yourself, then you'll be fine. But I think if you are susceptible to the opinion of others, yeah, you're, you're, you're likely to give up. You're likely to give up. You're likely to, to fall into depression, not believing, like all of those things. Because you work with young people, I work with young people as well in education. I think I'm always getting spoken to by the senior leadership team about my approach because you know, what we're doing is we're setting children up to be like, you need to focus on this, you need to focus on, you cannot fail, you cannot fail, you cannot fail. You have to do this, you have to do that. Whereas I, my approach is always, well, there's always another way. I mean, you can do it this way, but if this doesn't work out for you, there is always another way, which is not necessarily the advice they would like me to give. And so when you're working with young people, a lot of the time they already have been taught that if they don't do this, they have failed. How do you kind of like change their mindset? Yeah, and that's a horrible system. That's a horrible system that says if you don't get your maths, your GCSE, your maths, English, and your science, you're stupid, you're no good. It's a horrible system that doesn't work for everyone. So we teach young people that there are multiple levels of intelligences. You can be you know, good with your hands, you can be good at speaking with people, you, you might not excel in those areas, but if you excel in these areas, you're just as intelligent as those people. Um, so, so we teach that. And we also teach an idea of, of purpose in terms of what do you love, what are you passionate about, and keep doing that, even for my own children. Like, like what do you want to do? What are you really good at? And just focus on that and become good at that. You need to still do these other things and, and get the best you can in these things. But the way you're really going to win in life is those one, two, maximum three things that you're just an expert in. And once you're an expert in those things, you can go anywhere in the world. Like if you're really an expert at using your hands, you can fix stuff and make stuff, you can go anywhere in the world and do that. You know, if you're a speaker, if you're a coach, whatever it is, you can really excel in it rather than what the system wants is for you to be average at these lots of different things and to just go work for someone and, and clock in and clock out. So, so the system isn't really building experts. You know, to a degree, they might do in university and so on and so forth. But yeah, it, it really is, for me, finding yourself 
and being proud of what you're gifted at because I believe everyone's got a unique gifting, a unique offering. And that's the search that I didn't know I was I should have been looking for. I tell young people, you need to look for that thing. Look for that thing that's in you that you're supposed to be here to do. And most of them have never heard that before. You mentioned something earlier, which I think was really good in terms of how failures are viewed. And you're kind of saying, actually, my struggles weren't frowned upon or judged. They were celebrated in terms of I was given a medal for my work's done and my journey, um, recognised by Freddie, was it Black on Black? Did you say giving back to Black? Back to Black, back to Black. Back to Black Award. And actually really turning those things on its head and kind of saying, actually, my journey has a positive outcome. And this is the productive thing about that outcome. And I was just thinking also more about the, the chatter that can happen in the community um, or wherever, whether it's family or friends, about what people aren't achieving, but having their own internal dialogue, which you spoke of, which becomes your way to counteract some of that chatter, that negative chatter, which doesn't correspond with how you need to feel to continue to, to fly, as it were. And even this in terms of being an expert, I definitely resonate with what you say. You know, if you're pushed and able to come become an authority, on your area of expertise. You are an authority, whatever it might be in. You know, so thank you for sharing that. I just want to say thank you. If you were to give little Chris 13, 14, 15, 20, what would you tell your younger self? So definitely it's gonna be all right. Love yourself, it's gonna be all right. And I would have experienced more. There were some things that I probably had barriers against and, and and relationships with certain people, I'd, I'd probably be more freer as, as a younger version of myself. So, yeah, yeah, I would say relationship-wise, I would, I would have explored some more relationships with not just the cool kids. You know, there, there's some interesting people that, that you didn't really probably give a chance to, you know. So, so some of that, but also, yeah, just, just the confidence that it's going to be all right and 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 to and to listen to that inner voice earlier and follow that inner voice because that inner inner voice has always been there, um, and I I ignored it I ignored it a lot until I had to listen to it, so I was just encouraged little me to kind of listen to that voice because that voice knows definitely. Thank you, thank you, Chris. You're welcome. So much pearls of wisdom. I feel like. There's just so much in your conversation that I can definitely resonate with and see it just on my own journeys and think, yeah. Yes, definitely. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm hoping it, you know, it does resonate with people. And yeah, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure being with you guys. Is there um, any social media handles if people want to find you that they could kind of... So everything is pretty much my name, which is at Christopher Cyrus. Cyrus is spelled S Y. R-U-S. So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook, but I don't really check into Facebook too often, to be honest. So yeah, more more likely on Instagram. I do lots of um, inspirational videos when I'm ready and just speak to camera and just post it on Instagram. So yeah, by all means, follow and, and get in touch. I'm, I'm, I'm an open person and yeah, it's, it's, it's all good. Failure at 40. Failure at 40. Welcome to Failure at 40. Failure at 40. Failure. Apple Lady, Apple Lady, Apple Lady.